Hello! Welcome to today's episode of Heart Home Faith. I'm your host, Olivia, and I'm so excited to bring you this episode. Today, I'm talking with Celeste Behe about the spirituality of feeding a family. And because we aren't perfect all the time and we need to laugh at ourselves, we include some pretty funny stories of, perhaps we'll call them kitchen mishaps in our interview. So buckle in, get ready, and prepare to laugh and to be amazed at the wisdom Celeste brings. Celeste is a mother of nine and has so much to offer those of us who are in the trenches of constant family cooking, which is how I feel right now. But I just want to let you all know, Celeste is an incredible speaker, she has a great sense of humor, and I can't wait for you to hear her interview. All right. Hi, Celeste. Thank you so much for being on Heart Home Faith. Hi, Olivia. I am delighted to be here. Oh, I am so excited. Your story that you shared at the Catholic Mom Summit about um, your cooking experience and expertise and um, inexperience at the beginning of your marriage Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. just resonated with me on such a wonderful level. And I have my own stories. I feel like we will swap some stories during this interview at some (laughs) point. But um, for all the listeners, we're recording this actually the day before Thanksgiving. So I'm sure that, you know, as the holidays are coming up, there's cooking and things. And I'm positive this interview will be a laugh. So um, especially (laughs) if you're listening to it while cooking, we hope you don't make some of the mistakes mistakes we made, but we'll see. I'm sure you have your own stories too. Um, So Celeste, I wanted to ask you because I first heard you at the Catholic Mom Summit and your conversation or talk was about like keeping cool in the kitchen. And I just loved that because the kitchen is the most stressful place in my house for me. I have picky (laughs) eaters. I have strange tastes and, you know, like what we can serve one kid versus another. And it's just, it's hard. And it also is never ending. So um, knowing that you have nine children, is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Okay. So on a regular basis, there've been many, many years where you have been cooking for 11 people. Yes. Every Mm -hmm. single day. Yes. Yes, yes. Okay. That sounds very overwhelming. So I guess I, as a family of five, almost six, the idea of cooking for nearly double that is like, I don't know how you do it, but I'm really curious, how did your approach to cooking meals change as your family grew? You know, it's different to cook for two people than for four people than for 11 people, right? So, so how did yes. that change? Yes. Well, I think that perhaps it wasn't such a bad thing that when I first married, I was completely clueless in the kitchen because I had, I came into this with absolutely no notions of how to go about cooking. I had no expectations for myself. I just thought, okay, well, we've simply got to sustain ourselves. That was the objective. So not, not having these images that uh, a level at which I, I, that I needed to attain in order to be successful at cooking, I think worked in my favor. Now, 
over the years, of course, yes, uh, things did change. Initially, it was just a survival thing. But then my first child was born. Grace was born. And I suddenly realized, you know, I'm not responsible only for my husband and myself. I have this little, little sweet little life, you know, depending on me. So at that point, I began to look more at the, the nourishment in meals than I otherwise would have, you know, and I began to look at what was the best thing to eat, not just what could we eat that was convenient and handy, right? And from there, I tell you, things kind of snowballed. By the time my son Ben was born, I had gotten into organic food. Yeah. Ooh. Yes. Ooh. I know. But then Claire would, I'm sorry. I, said, I know organic. Every mom's like gold standard until exactly. maybe you have five kids. <laughs> then maybe yes. you have to start well. looking at other things. <laughs> Exactly. Well, it was my standard for a very short time, Olivia. It did not last, <laughs> let me tell you. And then my, my daughter, Claire, was born. And I began, it was around that time that I began to rediscover my faith. Okay. And I realized how much there was in the liturgical year to celebrate and commemorate. And so at that point, I began to consider the, the feast, the, whatever was happening in the liturgical year, and make that uh, the centerpiece of whatever the, the menu might, might be. And I can go through all nine. Do you want me to go through all nine, Olivia? Go <laughs> because... for it. Yeah. How okay. did it change? I, I'm okay. curious. I love big families, but I feel like okay. the, <laughs> one of the things that always makes me curious about big families is how do you cook for them? Like what, what changes? So yeah, go through it. Tell me more. I want to know. Okay. Well, you know, uh, with Claire, like I said, it was a liturgical year. By the time Leo was born, I was kind of back in survival mode. And it was at that point, and I mentioned this in my talk, that I discovered the slow cooker mm. and all the little conveniences. Okay. Cause I had to, I had these four kids and they were all little. And um, then when Rose was born, well, so on down the line, I was, I was homeschooling and I began to recognize the value of like little meals throughout the day, which kind of took some pressure off the, the three squares, you know, mm -hmm. that I had to, that I had been putting together. And then Vincent was born and this was key because at this point, a family moved to our area and it was a Catholic family and they were homeschooling. And then the ages of their children matched up with the ages of our children. And we would take turns hosting each other at Sunday brunch. Mm -hmm. And that's when I learned to cook for 12 because so many recipes serve 12, right? Nice, even number. Yeah. And so at that point, I, I kind of got into that. And uh, then later on with when my son Dominic was born, I, I, gained a whole lot of weight. And so I had to take the weight off. So then I was looking at juicing. I was juicing a lot of things, not only for myself naturally, but for the children, because I knew it was good for them. Right. And, uh, and then by the time Helen and Gerard were born, it was all about, you know, the leftovers and it was all about efficiency at that mm -hmm. point. So through the years, I have changed my mode of cooking repeatedly so I guess in a word, if, if I had to select a word that 
that is central to that, uh, I would say, flexibility. It's about flexibility, just needing to be flexible when you're cooking for a crowd. Absolutely. Yeah. I think one of the things you said in your talk, which I think I'll ask you about, yes, uh, but your your approach to having like meal guidelines was just so life-giving to me. I have tried to meal plan and I have failed spectacularly because I'm just not organized enough to be like, oh, we're running out of this like celery seed that we only use in this one thing that sounds really good. But then like, I don't, you know, it's anyways, that's kind of a weird example, but you know, there's just those weird things that it's just like, I don't, I'm not organized enough to, it's to have a plan and to stick with it and to follow it. But then to just have like basic ideas of what we're going to cook each day of the week. It's like, oh my gosh. So this week, Monday happens to be our family's pasta night. I was like, all right, well, we're out of this, but you know what I have all the ingredients for? Alfredo. I made homemade fettuccine Alfredo. It was delicious. So wow. I know. I was like, wow. Okay. And everybody ate it, which was even better. So (laughs) that was, but I was like, okay. And so then my husband and I love tacos. He, he would make tacos every single day of the week if I let him. And I'm we cannot eat tacos five days a week. We can't eat tacos seven days a week. We can eat tacos one day a week. So we have a taco day too. And you know, that's nice too, because you can change all the different ingredients and you have a totally different type of taco depending on what you have. And so anyways, that was, that was awesome to just have that sort of a approach. And I was so glad to hear that I wasn't a failure because I stink at meal planning but apparently it's okay to be flexible. So it is, it is meal planning. When you are rigid with meal planning, failure is kind of built into that. At least for me, I just, you know, one needs to be super, super duper organized, which I'm not. And I think most of us aren't. So in that case, I think meal guidelines is a more practical approach for, for so many of us. Absolutely. Yeah. And it just, it makes so much more sense for, (laughs) Um, allowing for that, like what sounds good. I mean, I'm pregnant, so some days certain things sound really good and other things sound terrible. So Mm -hmm. like I have the flexibility, you know, maybe when I sit down to do a meal plan, I might think like, oh, this particular sort of pasta sounds great. And then the day of, I'm like, I don't want that at all. Mm -hmm. You know, so having having the flexibility to be creative with what you want that day just like, oh, this is amazing. I wish someone had told me this uh, seven years ago, but that's okay. I know now. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Better late than ever, as they say. (laughs) Right. So after having nine children, I am curious about um, the dreaded picky eater. And if you had any of those in your family, and then Mm -hmm. if you have any advice for families that are currently maybe working through a child with specific food particularities. I know that that's a big struggle when you are in the toddler and very early childhood phase for a lot of women. So I'm curious because you're more seasoned. You have, you know, you've raised your children along a certain line. Your oldest is in college. So um, I'm curious what your advice might be or what you found to be effective. Well, we had, I guess, the one picky eater. I will not name that child. Uh, (laughs) But yes, that child was indeed picky. And it was a surprise to me because my first child was a gobbler. That kid would just eat anything put in front of her, any quantities of it as well, you know. And my second child is also a good eater. Um, But uh, 
my third was picky. And there were a few things that I kept in mind when feeding her or trying to feed her. One is I kind of vacillated between the, the I don't want to use the word bribery, but um, it's something akin to that, as in, if you eat this, mommy will give you this treat. Mm-hmm. You know, I, there were times when I thought that was the way to go, and, and I implemented that. But there were other times when I felt bad about that, you know, but, but what could I do? So something that I learned, and I admit I learned this really late in my child rearing years, is that orderliness is important, you know, to have an order to the day, you know, uh, to know what's the next thing coming in the course of a day. And, but I did, I did learn at that point, I was thinking, you know, why don't we just look at it this way? One eats the, the meat, the vegetables, whatever, before one gets to the sweet stuff, not a bribe. It's just that in the course of, in the natural course of things, this is what happens as in breakfast comes before lunch, before dinner, one gets up, you know, before going out, before, you know, having her evening, you know, diversion, whatever it is. So that was one thing. I, it seems to me that if the child knows what is expected, that goes a long way towards getting them oriented towards what it is that they're expected to do and, you know, gets them of the mind that they just may comply and they may go ahead and do this. That is one thing. Another thing is that I have found that pleasant associations work wonders with food, with getting kids to eat. If a food that a child will not eat at the table, he may very well eat when say he's sitting on mom's lap. Mm -hmm. Just feeling that all-encompassing love, you know, is something that just might, might put him in, in, uh, in the state of mind in which he is just more, more easygoing, more willing, more compliant. And that can also work. Another thing is, and I, I referenced this earlier, making food significant for the liturgical year, a kid who will not touch a hard-boiled egg may do so, not only touch it, but also eat it, or at least some of it, on Holy Thursday. We we tend we do a Seder meal on Holy Thursday, mm-hmm. and hard-boiled eggs are on the table. And just because those eggs mean something, and they're not just there for you to, you know, chew and swallow, is another factor that may entice a child into eating. And finally, I found that if a child sees that you are really eating with gusto, that that goes a ways towards getting them interested in food. Because children are imitators. What you do, they will do. And if they see that you are really into that, whatever it is that's on your plate, they may very well also be in imitation of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great advice. I know um, for us, we always have heard that, you know, if you can get the child involved in cooking the meal, that usually helps too. Um, yeah, I have, it's so funny though. I try to not bribe in the sense of, you know, trying to make food an emotional experience of like making the child feel guilty for 
eating or not eating, but I do also think like, okay, well, this is hard. And what's really hard is that one of my children used to be the best eater ever. She'd eat anything we put in her, in front of her. And now she is like, no thanks, but we make her try a no thank you bite. She has to try everything because goodness me, it's exhausting. Like mm-hmm. if you're, if you're going to make yourself hungry, you're going to make yourself be hungry. I can't sit there and shovel it down your throat for you, but oh man, the picky eater thing is, oh, it's so hard. It's hard. Mm-hmm. And every kid's got a little bit of a different temperament. And so your suggestions are great to like, you know, try, try this, see if this helps, see if this helps, you know, mm-hmm. just to see, is there something you can hit on that might help alleviate? Cause I think that's one of the most stressful things for parents is the fact that kids realize very early on that they control using the bathroom, they control eating and they control sleeping. We don't mm-hmm. get to control it. And right. if you have a, if you have a child who does not like it when other people are controlling them in certain ways, they can sometimes act out. Um, mm-hmm. But finding, finding ways to help them to enjoy the food. And of course, like you said earlier, get that nutrition, <laughs> get mm-hmm. those nutrients because we're responsible for making sure they have what they need. That's, that is great, great advice. All right. So I'm curious about you personally as, um, you know, mom of nine, family of 11 and your spiritual journey through cooking. You've mentioned that at different points it was survival mode. At some points it was organic, everything, right? (laughs) At some points it was juicing. And um, I'm just, I'm curious, you know, as you have gotten to the point where you are now, how would you say your spirituality relates to cooking or what you do in the kitchen? What would you say is kind of the tie-in between your faith, your spirituality, and preparing food for people? Well, I'll tell you, you know, had you asked me this question a while ago, I might have had a different answer. But right now, of my nine children, there are half who are vegetarian, (laughs) half who are meat eaters. We have vegan thrown in there. And also I, I, I'm sorry to to say that a couple of them have have fallen away from their faith. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I am finding that as far as spirituality, it is through my cooking for my children that I am showing forth my love for them. Now, I have read from time to time about the connection between spirituality and eating. Mm-hmm. I was particularly interested not too long ago, I was reading a, an interview with the 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 person behind the program theology of the table and this was all really interesting stuff okay but for me it really just comes down to that you know jesus himself he when he made breakfast on the shore and so forth he was showing forth love to his disciples and especially in that particular uh, gospel passage we have him interacting with Peter asking, you know, Peter, do you love me? And so forth. And it's practically a love fest. And it is just, it always brings tears to my eyes. It is a a beautiful, beautiful passage. So 
I, I, in my mind, I, I too equate that, that active service, which is after all what cooking is, I equate that active service with showing forth love. And I, I feel that just in going to the bother, because let's face it, it is a bit of bother of serving, preparing three different kinds of meals when all the family is together, as in, here's the meat-based meal, and here's the vegetarian meal, and here's the dairy-free and like flavor-free and everything-free vegan (laughs) meal. You know, in doing that, you know, my children realize that, that, that this is not something I have to do. I could say, and hey, look, when you guys come up the driveway, I expect you to have some takeout, you know, in the back seat. You serve yourselves. You, you prepare your own food. I don't do that. I go to the trouble of showing them that, that uh, making that effort for them. And so, again, to, to me, anyway, it, cooking is an act of love. And it is something that we as Christians and as Christian mothers are called to do. So that's kind of fundamentally what it is about for me. Right. I think you, I think you heard my dishwasher episode, my dishwasher saga. It just never ends. It's still (laughs) in my garage, my new one. And it's just, anyways, (laughs) I have too many stories about a dishwasher, but you know, I was thinking about how there's so many opportunities in the things that are bothersome the things that we don't want to do. Like, I mean, you don't want to make three different meals, but you want your family all together. You want them Mm -hmm. to be there with you. And so you go through the love of, you know, that self-sacrifice, that humbling of yourself to say, okay, well, I'm not, you know, I'm going to respect their personal choices as far as, you know, what they choose to put in their body. And I'm going to do this out of love. And I just think there's so many opportunities for us as women that God just gives us to show our love, especially in those maybe more traditional roles. My husband happens to be a great cook and he loves mm-hmm. cooking. Um, but, you know, I get, I call it the drudge. I get the drudge cooking. <laughs> you know, he, he does the fun stuff. I do the oh. drudge. Um <laughs> Like, you know, the day to day, what are we going to eat? Oh, we're going to figure this one out is Monday. You know, um, I, I get that sort of cooking, but it's just, there's so many opportunities for us when we kind of realize our own humility to really show that love and to embrace that love. And I feel like that's just a great gift from the Lord that, you know, not only that he shows us and literally models so many different places in the gospel, the eating is really, really important. (laughs) You know, he makes breakfast for Peter right before Peter is redeemed. He, you know, he multiplies the loaves and the fishes so everybody can have enough. And then there's leftovers. Like who doesn't want leftovers? I want leftovers. So (laughs) Jesus, can you, can you come make a miracle happen with my stew? But (laughs) you know, he, he, we see it at the last supper, like Food is a very important part of the gospel, which I think is just something that is really helpful if you, perhaps like me, don't particularly enjoy cooking, um, that you can just really find a moment to humble yourself and to just say, okay, I don't really like this, but I can do this out of love. And I feel like that just gives us such a great, a great spiritual gift. So thank you for your insight on that, Celeste. Um, Okay. So... 
again, I have a lot of questions for people who have big families and we're going to kind of shift a little bit about the fact that, you know, okay, so you are not just the personal family chef of your big family. You also have other pursuits and interests and activities that you do. And we all need that, right? Like we all need things that are our own, even if we have what might seem like an insurmountable or overwhelming or perhaps all-encompassing task, like feeding 11 people three square meals a day for years, maybe um, might feel that way to you. But Celeste has shown us it's very possible. But you, you don't just cook. So how did you manage to find time for, for your other pursuits, especially in such a big family? Okay. Well, I'll tell you, when I look back, I see a pattern because I, I've, been, I've been asked that before. Oh, Celeste, how do you do it all? <laughs> and I have to honestly say that I don't, really, because, but I mean that in a good sense. I think that so many of us hold ourselves to a standard. You know, we, we have an inkling that others are doing everything and they're doing it better than we are. And I think that 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 seems to be something of an epidemic in our society. And I think social media, of course, contributes to that, where we see everyone's best side on whatever the social media outlet is. And I think that the important thing in, in doing what one needs to do for her family is simply to relax and just make, you know, love central, you know, it it is, it is not so much what we do, but is how we do it. Absolutely. Okay. And in, in my early years of mothering, I read all the books, right? Don't we all? (laughs) Okay. Mothering books. (laughs) (laughs) I have opinions <laughs> like how to do it. And there's, there's one way to do it. And it, the author's point of view is that one way. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was there and over time I, I discarded that method of mothering and simply went more with, with my instinct and my gosh, how I loved my kids. Don't we all, I'm sure all every woman who is listening to this podcast has that, that ferocious love for her children, you know, which is a good and wholesome and God given thing. And I think that more often than not, what we need to do is, is just to go with that, to use that as our yardstick for determining what does and doesn't need to be done. Okay. Mm -hmm. That having been said, down to the nitty gritty now. Okay. I find that when it comes to getting things done, a sense of humor is essential. Essential to getting things done. And I remember speaking to a, at a conference a few years back and I was speaking to a, a, a group of moms and I said, there are three things that really help me get through these days of mothering. And they are to visualize, 
to itemize and to futurize. Okay. <laughs> uh, to visualize means to just imagine that all this chaos that is taking place around you is part of a really big comic strip and you are the star. Just imagine this taking place in comic book format and it helps you to see the humor in it. Absolutely. And I, there is always humor to be found. The second thing is to itemize. That is to itemize, to, five, to find five funny things in your day. What, ha- what five things have taken place so far in your day that are drop dead funny because they are there. They really are. You just have to put on that pair of spectacles to help you see it. And um, I'll give you an example here. You know, I, I'm sure that a few of your listeners, anyhow, Olivia, are, are homeschoolers. So if I may, I'm going to use that as an example. I was teaching my daughter, Helen, some math and her workbook the author of the workbook was a very positive person. And so he headed the pages in the book with the words, math is fun worksheet. That's how these things were labeled. The math is fun worksheet. And I went to check Helen's work and I found she had crossed that out and had written, had retitled the page the math is eternal torment enslavement sheet. Okay. Now, I thought that this was just a knockout, hilarious thing. This, this really made my day. It was an unexpected thing that I came across. That is what I mean by itemizing. <laughs> and if you think that it can't be done, if I were to say to you, okay, find five things and I'll give you a day at a spa. Then you'd find them. Oh, yeah. So think of it in those terms, right? Hands down. I found them. Here. (laughs) Where's my spa? Oh, my God. (laughs) And finally, to to futurize your frustrations. That is to think about how is it going to look to me a number of years from now? How will this look to my future self? H.G. Wells said that the crisis of today is the joke of tomorrow. And he was right. Absolutely. So think of how it's going to look to you and you may see the humor in it that way. I was. It's all about the humor. (laughs) So our family actually just watched the movie Boss Baby yesterday night, which is like this ridiculous movie. But anyways, the the baby is marked for management and I happen to have a a difficult, I had a child who had a very difficult infancy in a toddlerhood. And so I was laughing so hard because they keep showing the baby, like hitting the bottle away from his parents. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that was my kid. Like she didn't mm-hmm. want me to do things for her. She wanted to do them herself. And so mm-hmm. I was laughing so hard. I was like, cause in that moment it was exhausting. It was so hard, but you know, all these years have gone by now. I'm like, Hey, that's my kid. Like someone, someone from uh, DreamWorks was watching us and put it into a movie. Uh, but it was, it was, and you know, it's funny because it, it's comedic in the movie, but then I'm looking at my husband and we're like, 
you lift this? (laughs) (laughs) You know, finding finding that humor. Absolutely. And there is so much to, to find that is humorous and there's so much to find that can just bring a smile and, Oh man, I'm thinking of so many, so many different things. Mm-hmm. All right. So I want to do something kind of fun here and I want to oh share um, about your cooking inexperiences. And don't worry, I'm not just throwing you under the bus. I'm going to share my story too, which actually, okay. uh, yeah, I'll tell you even more about it. But um, your story about using two whole bulbs of garlic instead of two cloves had me just rolling around laughing because I was like, oh my gosh, that's totally, I would have had that question when I started cooking too. And I would have been wrong. And I don't know if I would have even peeled the paper off, but mm-hmm. I guess I want to know about some of your other stories. Like give me some of your stories about inexperience and, and what you've learned since, please. Okay. All right. <laughs> Since you asked nice, I will tell you. Thank you. Well, you know, th- I don't I don't have any, you know, wild stories, you know, for the books. Uh, the garlic cloves one was was about as crazy as it got. The others were a little more tame, but when it comes to cooking fails, I think there are there are fails uh, there are different categories of cooking fails. <laughs> yes. Okay. One of those categories I would say is how to how do I use this gadget anyway? Kind of cooking <laughs> fail. Now, early on, I, I mentioned that I had our family uh, had the privilege of being friends with another family, and we would host them at our home. And one day, I got it into my head. I guess I felt I was confident, having had a a few successful dinners. I thought. This time, I'm going to go super elegant, and I'm going to use a chafing dish. Ooh. Now, okay, and so I borrowed a chafing dish from a neighbor, and it was so, so elegant. It was this beautiful, like, urn kind of style, and it was silver, and it was ornate, and it was beautiful, and it had this, like, little, you're supposed to like this little flame under it, okay? Mm -hmm. Well, that was my problem right there because I thought, well, I will just put my, I forget what it was, maybe in soup or I don't know, a fondue. I don't know what it was, but I put something in in the urn type of thing and I lit the flame. I was an adult at that point and nevertheless, somehow I thought that this little flame was going to heat the whole works. That is, I did not first bring the soup to a simmer before putting it into the urn. I just lit this thing. Well, I don't have to tell you that it, that, that dinner was a long time in coming to the table. You know, <laughs> what, whatever was I thinking? I don't know. So sometimes, yes, we have this neat cooking equipment. We don't really know how to use. That can be the cause of a fail. <laughs> Another category of fail is the, well, I did what they told me to do kind of fail. Now, if you have read Amelia Bedelia Mm -hmm. books, okay, takes everything literally. So early in my marriage, I offered to make a sandwich for my husband and he wanted some, a chicken sandwich. Okay. Now, when I think chicken sandwich, I think mayonnaise. But, and I think chicken salad with mayonnaise, Mm -hmm. right? That's my notion of chicken sandwich. But he said, no, you know what? Why don't you use mustard? Just make me a chicken sandwich with mustard. So what did I do? 
I took the chicken, I chopped it up, and I tossed it with the mustard. Now, this made sense to me. But I ask you, have you ever seen a chopped up chicken with mustard sandwich? No, of course not, because it's not a thing. And yet I did. So (laughs) that was the, but but I told you what I I did. My husband said, right? Sort of, kind (laughs) of. And then the, the third kind of cooking fail is when the absolutely unexpected happens, you know, when you're making, say, cherries, jubilee, and the cherries don't jube, okay? <laughs> so as I, I think I may have mentioned earlier, we will do, on Holy Thursday, we'll do a, a Passover Seder, or at least mm-hmm. our version, which is really a stripped down, you know, bare bones version. And there was the one year I put the lamb into the oven. We went down to mass. I came back and I, sl- everyone was at the table. They were all gathered at the table. And I sliced the lamb. And for some reason, it wasn't cooked. That was unexpected. It wasn't cooked. So I had to, I didn't want to let on to my family because I didn't want to spoil the mood. You know, they were there doing the four questions, you know, why is this night different from every other night? The the classic Passover questions. And I had this raw, this uncooked lamb. So I had to slice it up and kind of, I, I cooked some in a pan on the stove and I put some in the, in the oven. And I, so I had to express cook it and thankfully it worked out. It worked out okay. But I think my biggest fail of all time happened. It was in the month of February, some years ago, and we had had a lot of snow. And what happened was the snow melted Uh, of course, as snow will do, and it got into our basement. (laughs) So we had a a semi-flooded basement. And I went down there and I saw that, you know, there was water in the basement. And I thought, okay, it's time to make dinner. Whatever am I going to do? Now, there are certain emergency provisions that I keep on hand just for an event like this. And one of them is popping fresh, you know, the little Pillsbury biscuits in the the can. Uh So I grabbed a few of those and I thought, okay, I'm I'm just going to, you know, make the biscuits and like pour something over them and we'll call it dinner because I had to mop up the basement. So I took the a couple of cans of biscuits and I put them onto the counter and then I went in and I did something else. And I came back into the kitchen and the biscuits from one of the cans were on the floor, you know, where the cat hair is and, and, and things like that. It, 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 and I, so I went back into the living room and I said, kids, who messed with the biscuits? Now, I used to be a kid once. And I know that there are certain things that one can do with food, with food that are really fun and appealing. Mm-hmm. For example, Jiffy Pop popcorn. Come on. Who doesn't love to see that the little foil puff up, right? Mm-hmm. And pop. Crushmer wheat germ, when you open up the can, it's vacuum packed. So it makes this little hissy sound and the wheat germ kind of jumps around in the jar. This is fun stuff. So right. I imagine that one of my kids had gone and, you know, smacked the can of biscuits against the edge of the counter just to see the biscuits pop out of the can. And so I asked the kids who had done it, nobody fessed up and it kind of became a big, big thing. 
capital B, capital T, big thing. And I said, oh, you know, nobody's leaving this room until we figure out who had, you know, opened the cans. Well, I have the kids sitting there and I'm telling them that I am not going to let anyone leave until somebody fesses up and tells me. And then we hear this sound, this pop sound. And, you know, six of the kids say, I'll go check, see what that is. I say, never mind mom will go and check to see what that is. And I went into the kitchen and the other can had popped because apparently these pressurized cans can occasionally pop on their own. Mm -hmm. So we had not one, but two cans of biscuits that had, you know, inadvertently, who knows why, just kind of popped and there went our dinner. But at least that was one for which I was not personally responsible. So that was a <laughs> fail that, that I can, I had nothing to do with really. But uh, my, my regretful part in this is that I had blamed the kids for the, the cooking fail. <laughs> and in fact, they had had nothing to do with it. So anyhow, yes, these things do happen. But somehow we always manage to get something on the table. And you have a story to tell years later. Yes, yes. Well, it's so funny because I'm laughing. Actually, so my first official real cooking fail um, actually ended up, my sister at my wedding gave a speech and it ended up in the speech. So it was Thanksgiving time and I must have been, I don't know, like 13 I don't, I don't know, but my older sister and I, my mom left us a note and she asked us to peel the yams. I still don't know what the heck a yam is. Like I still, I still, is it a sweet potato? Like what, what, what is a yam? Anyways, so my older sister also didn't know. So she asked me and I inadvertently convinced her that we needed to peel the 10 pound bag of russet Idaho potatoes. Oh, so no. we peeled all the pounds of potatoes and it wasn't oh, even no. the right thing. So we were just oh. trying to be helpful, trying to do the right thing. And I still don't know what a yam is. And I like, I, it's not like a common thing. Like we didn't just like have yams all the time growing up. So I don't know, a little arrow or like a drawing or something <laughs> would have been helpful. Oh my. What became, Livy, what became the potatoes? Did you, did you use them or? I think my the, mom had like made potato salad or did something like okay. we, okay. I don't Not know with mayonnaise, you, not with a mustard, I hope. <laughs> no. Okay. Right. <laughs> but yeah, there, that was a lot of potatoes and a lot of peeling and a lot of potato peels and a lot of, a lot of things. So that's, oh that's, you know, my, my first I don't know what this is. I'm making my best guess because like, I don't know, asking us to peel four of sweet potato looking things doesn't seem like a big deal, but like asking us to peel a 10 pound bag, that seems like we can do a service for you. (laughs) So yeah, that's an undertaking, (laughs) but we did it. Um, Oh my word. And then, you know, once I, once I got married, oh my goodness, I was 22 when I know I was 21 when I got married and then I turned 22 a week later. So anyways, essentially 22 when I got married, but I was really young as a very young and very inexperienced cook as far as a married woman goes. And I had never really, I mean, I cooked for myself a little bit, but it's very different to cook for a man than it is to cook for 
just me. So mm-hmm. I, I had a, I had a rough curve of learning how to cook. But, um, I remember I started after our first daughter was born, I became a stay at home mom and I was trying, we were trying really hard to like get out of school debt and things. And so, um, we were, I was looking for like cheap recipes and I found one for this rice casserole. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is great. Like it's rice, it's cheap. It's like going to fill us up and we can, I can make a big pan of it, you know, like casserole this year. And so I followed the directions and I put them in the oven and what do you know? That rice never cooked. <laughs> you weren't, the directions said you didn't have to cook the rice in advance. It was supposed to be like you could put it in the pan and then it would cook itself as it was, you know, in the oven. I don't know hmm. if I used the wrong type of rice or what happened, but my husband still talks about the crunchy rice casserole that resulted oh, in us throwing it away and getting oh. Little Caesars $5 pizza for dinner that night. Okay. And that was when I realized that. I can try new things, and even if they are a terrible fail, we're only out $5 for a Little Caesars Hot and Ready pizza. So that is probably the best words of advice I could offer anybody in the kitchen is just try because you can always get a $5 pizza. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Yes, we're very keen on Little Caesars. It's great to know there's that backup there, a $5 backup. I love it. (laughs) <laughs> I know. Well, our family's getting, our family's getting bigger now. So it's like maybe a $10 backup, but still mm-hmm. that's not, you know, I mean, comparatively that's not so bad, but yeah. yeah, my husband, and then there was also the time again, I was following a recipe and it said to cover the casserole pan with parchment paper, not mm-hmm. aluminum foil, parchment paper. So it's like, okay, I will do this. You know, Pinterest has never let me down ever. <laughs> but it's let me down a lot of times. So I covered it up with parchment paper and it caught on fire in the oven because it turns out I should have covered it with foil because foil can withstand a, a higher temperature than mm-hmm. parchment paper can. And this was like, it said, cover it with parchment paper and, paper and broil. You don't want to broil parchment paper. It is no. paper. Wow. So oh my. I learned I learned along the way after many fails to read a recipe and think to myself, is that right? Or are they mistaken? Because a lot of times the author of these recipes has great pictures of their food, but they aren't using the same words that I would use. Like yes. I would use the word foil. Foil will prevent you from lighting your casserole on fire, (laughs) but parchment paper will not. So don't use parchment paper above what it says on the package. So, you know, I I learned all these different like little tricks and things about when you read a, when you read a recipe online, just really think through if that sounds right, because if it doesn't sound right, they are not right. You are right. They are not. Yes. Now that that's where you need to visualize, right? You have to see it happening. <laughs> yes. Uh, but you're right. It, it's true. I've had the same experience. So I, I know what you mean. What you you've, mean. Let, you've let casseroles on fire? No, I haven't done that. I haven't done, but sometimes, you know, you, you're reading this recipe and you're thinking, yeah, there's something that's not quite sitting right here. Mm-hmm. You go with your gut. You know, <laughs> you, you are the next recipe than the internet. <laughs> that is, I mean, the internet has a lot of answers and Oh man, early in your talk, you shared um, at the Catholic Mom Summit about 
Pinterest and like Pinterest stress. And I, mm-hmm. I personally love Pinterest because it gives me great ideas, but every now and then you find a recipe and you're like, this person didn't actually make this. They just mm-hmm. took pictures of pretty food and it looks really good, but I don't think they really did this. And yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when, once you've reached, you've reached that point where you are able to separate the realistic from the unrealistic, then you can handle the website better. But if you go on there or any similar website and just, you know, take at face value what you see there, you may have some issues. (laughs) I know you might. (laughs) (laughs) Just a few. Oh, well, thank you so much, Celeste, for for being a guest on Heart Home Faith. This has been just so fun to talk about, you know, something that is women. We all experience, you know, time in the kitchen. Any adult, you're going to experience time in the kitchen. If you love it, if you are kind of like me and you're like, oh, here we go again. Or if you're just like, oh, this is amazing. I love to cook. It, you know, it fills me up. It's my, it's my, you know, my calling in life. That's awesome too. But I think regardless of your personal opinions about cooking, we all end up with certain cooking stories along the way. And yes. so, you know, I did a go actually make an apple pie from homemade, um, except not the crust because I'm not that advanced. So <laughs> I, I know when to call it, you know, I, I know how to say this is homemade, but the crust isn't. And I'm okay mm-hmm. with that. Um, but I'm going to go make an apple pie with my five-year-old. So I'm sure I'm about to have some stories there too. Like oh, the time we added an entire extra cup of sugar without me looking like I'm visualizing that happening and, you know. Well, too, too much sugar is never a bad thing. That, that's not an error. That is something that you have to, you know, you modify the recipe to accommodate if it's extra sugar, always. <laughs> right, right. So anyways, I just, I'm so grateful for us to just spend this time together sharing in, you know, our vocation as, as mom separated through the years and different phases and stages of life. But I uh, thank you so much, Celeste, for sharing your wisdom with us. And I so appreciate it. So this will be out uh, next week. So thank you. Thank you, Olivia. It has been such a blast. There is nothing I like better than to talk about food. So this has been a thrill. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to this wonderful episode of Heart Home Faith. You can follow Celeste Behe at Celeste Behe on Instagram And there you will find information for how to subscribe and to follow her on her other platforms. I hope that you have had some opportunities to laugh. And if anybody actually knows the difference of what a yam is versus a sweet potato, I would be absolutely thrilled to finally learn that some, I don't know, 20 some years after that incident mentioned originally happened. So my dear, dear sisters in Christ, Until next time, my hope and my prayer for you is that you may feel as loved as you are by the one who made you, by the one who provides for you, and by the one who loves you enough to send his only son. This is what we celebrate during Advent and in the entire liturgical year. So take a few moments to revel in that love And to know that God doesn't expect you to cook gourmet meals all the time. And sometimes you might have a crunchy rice casserole, but it's okay. His love never fails, even if our recipes fail us sometimes. Until next time.
God bless.